Does anybody not get today's handout, which is number 33? Okay. Can somebody help me pass these out? Jerry? Thank you, brother. Whoever doesn't have one there. All right. We want to pray for Sharon. Is Sharon here? Yeah. I don't see her. Oh, there she is. Sharon, can we pray for you, dear? You want to come and sit with us? Or? Sharon's mom uh, had a diagnosis this week that's uh, not good. Um, malignant C in her liver, correct? And so we just want to lift her mom up and pray for her and ask God to be gracious. Amen. God, our Father, Lord, we are so thankful that you are our God. Indeed, Lord, you hold life and death in your hands. God, your power is exceedingly great. Your love and your mercy are hard to describe. They are so vast. And we're so thankful, dear God, for you. Lord, we do look to you this morning in the midst of this trial. We pray, dear God, that you would have mercy upon Sharon's mom. Lord, we ask if it be your will that you would grant her many more days to be with us. Lord, give us boldness and the faith to share with her. We pray, O God, that even now you're moving in her heart, drawing her near to yourself. Dear God, we ask that you'd have mercy upon her soul. Lord, that you'd open the eyes of her heart to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. We pray, Father, that you would just work in her heart and draw her very near to yourself, O God. Lord, we just pray that all of us Christians would gather around, that we would be loving even as you are loving, God, that we would serve and help and minister to the needs that are here. We pray, dear God, for our dear sister Sharon and her family that you would comfort them in this trial, that you would be very near to them, indeed a very present help in time of trouble. And Father, we do thank you that you are the God of all peace, the God of all comfort, and that, Lord, we can cast our cares upon you because you care for us. And so we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of bringing this need before you. Please bless our time this morning as we study your word. Cause us to grow in the grace and knowledge of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Yeah. Please do. Uh, last year at this time, approximately, uh, my mom had a uh, aorta aneurysm. And, uh, you know, when, when that happens, when they uh, catch it in time and they do surgery, Basically, they shut down the body, they pack the patient in ice, they shut down everything so that they can work on that aorta. And uh, I'll never forget the love that that Sharon and Sam displayed as they came down to the hospital and they spent uh, countless hours praying with us and loving us. And it really made a difference in my dad's life. My dad's a Christian, but when he saw the love that Sharon and, and Sam displayed and my other brothers and sisters from the church, it, it really touched his heart and uh, spoke to him. And my mom's a Christian, but I didn't I didn't know if she was going to make it. And, uh, you know, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's a pretty doggone scary place to be. Even though you know your mom's going to go to heaven, it's still a scary place to be. And because of everybody's prayers, my mom made it through. And she's celebrating her birthday today. My mom's birthday's tomorrow. So I just know that the Lord answers prayers, that he hears the prayers of his children, and he responds to those prayers. So keep the faith. Your mom's name? Lorena. Lorena. We'll be praying for her. Amen. <coughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. 
Okay. So we'll get started here. <coughs> okay, so we're back in our study of Ephesians. And uh, we have so far gotten through chapter 4, verse 24. And um, I'm going to go ahead and read this morning from Ephesians chapter 4. Starting in verse 17, I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. (coughs) Ephesians chapter 4, 17 and following. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, that you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside all falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath, anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Amen? What glorious words. Would you agree? So here we are back in Ephesians chapter 4. And you remember that uh, we're in the latter half of the book of Ephesians, and the instruction is becoming very practical. He's beginning to talk about uh, because of who we are in Christ and that we have been made new creatures in Christ, that now we are, begin, we are to uh, uh, live in accordance with who we are. We are, begin, we are to, he is beginning to talk about us practicing the deeds of the new man who is a man created in the likeness of God, he says, in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And so now he's beginning to give us a very detailed description of what that living and that walking and that acting looks like. And in order to do so, you remember that he draws a tremendous contrast between the old former way of life that we had as Gentiles and, and, uh, and then he talks about the new man. And he draws this great contrast between the thinking patterns of the old man and the thinking patterns of the new man and he says you can no longer live like the new man who thinks like this therefore you i'm sorry (laughs) You, you can no longer live like the old man the old man of sin who is darkened in his understanding you can no longer live like him who thinks like this who is darkened and has a futile thinking pattern, right? But rather, he says, you are the new man, and you are to think in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, which is a righteousness and a holiness of the truth. And then he goes on to begin to tell us what that looks like, what that behavior looks like. And he says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. Instead, you are too. And he goes into this whole big long discourse of the righteous and the holy acts of the new man. 
And again, it's going to get very practical. He's telling us specifically how we are to behave, what we are to do, and what we are not to do. If you will, here's a big list of do's and don'ts for the Christian. It's getting very practical. But what he does throughout the rest of the chapter here is he keeps drawing these contrasts so that we can see and understand the things he's saying. Remember how we talk about how the Apostle Paul is just a master of contrast. And he, and he shows us, you know, that thinking pattern of the Gentile, and he holds that in contrast to the thinking pattern of the new man of righteousness and holiness. And uh, throughout, you'll see this uh, in these verses, these following verses. If you look at verse 25, look what he says. He says, lay aside all falsehood and speak the truth. It's a contrast, right? He says, um, he says, he who steals, verse 28, must steal no longer, but he must labor, performing with his own hands so that he will have something to share. And so, you know, the contrast here is between stealing and sharing, right? And he goes on, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. So hear the contrast with our speaking, right? Don't speak unwholesome words, he says, but words that build up, words that edify. Right? And right on down through the chapter, he keeps drawing these contrasts. If you look in verse 30, he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Right? And he draws a contrast with that down in verse 2 of chapter 5, where he says that Christ's love was a, a, a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So rather than grieving the Holy Spirit, the love of Christ is a pleasing aroma to God, right? And he keeps drawing these contrasts throughout, throughout the rest of the book here. And uh, it's just a fabulous way to teach us, to show us the great contrast between the former self and the new self. And so <clears throat> just as a way of review, looking at the last part of verse 24, he says, and, and put on the new self, or this is actually verse 24. He says, Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And this is where we ended last week. But what we were saying was, listen, regeneration is no small thing. What has happened to you if you are born again is something miraculous and profound. You have been created anew in Christ and given a new nature, the very nature of God. And if any man is in Christ, he is a, a new creation. Old things have passed, new things have come. And we are a new man in Christ. And this new man, the scripture says, has been created in the likeness of God. In the likeness of God, he says, in righteousness and holiness of the truth. This new man, whom we are, has been created in the righteousness of God and in the holiness of the truth. That has happened to us if we are born again. And the very nature of God has been implanted into our souls. This is important to understand. This is not a trifling thing. This is something that is miraculous and profound. And this is what Paul's saying. Look, you didn't learn Jesus this way. In fact, you were created in the likeness of God, in righteousness and holiness of the truth, he says. Therefore, you can no longer steal. You can no longer speak evil. You can no longer live like the Gentiles live, right? But instead, you must... Behave with all holiness in your behavior. You must begin to act like Christ, he says in chapter 5, verse 1. Be an imitator of God. Why? Because you're his beloved children. You've been created in his likeness. You've taken on his nature. Amen? And so, uh, I wanted to point out Romans 6, verses 4 through 7. And, and Paul there is discussing a little bit about regeneration. And he says, Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death 
in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So just as in the humanity of Christ, he died. When he was raised to dead, raised from the dead, he was walking in a newness of life. He was walking in a spiritual body, an immortal body. A body which was no longer subject to sin. He's saying in, in that way, we are to walk in newness of life. And that we, our old man is to die and be crucified with Christ, even as his body was crucified. He says, verse 5, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. And Paul is saying, we died with Christ so that we can walk in newness of life. And this is the very thing he's telling the Ephesians when he says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. Instead, you are to behave in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And that, if you will, begins his discourse in verses 25 and and pretty much on through the end of the book. Because he is going to begin to describe what that holy behavior looks like. He's going to talk about all of our human relationships. He's going to talk about uh, all, all of the things that should exist practically within the body of Christ and how we are to interrelate with one another. And uh, he gets very descriptive. And then there, starting in verse 25, he says, Therefore, now what is the therefore, therefore? Because right? of our newness in him, because we are righteous and holy, because we've taken on God's nature, Amen. then... Therefore, because of verses 20 through 24, because we didn't learn Jesus this way, right? But instead, we are to be renewed in the spirit of our mind and put on the new self, which is created in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, therefore, he says, here's how you act. If this is who you are, then this is how you act. Amen? Amen. And oh, how we need that instruction. Don't we? Look what he says. Laying aside falsehood. You know, and and you know what's interesting here? He says laying aside falsehood, not just lying. He's not just talking about lying, okay? But he's talking about falsehood in all of its various forms. He goes on. Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And so here he says, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, because we have put on the new self, which is created in righteousness and holiness of the truth, we can no longer lie. Okay? Because we are created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, we can't lie. We can't say what is false. Why? Because God is truth. And God's nature lives in us. We can no longer live in falsehood. In fact, we are, he says, to lay it aside. The word falsehood actually means any form of lying, such as lying, deception, exaggeration, cheating, slander, making false promises and excuses. All of those would be forms, if you will, of falsehood. They are that which is characterized by lying or deception. They are that which is characterized by that which is not true. Right? And so here is instruction. And don't just you know read over this, laying aside all falsehood, but consider the actions of falsehood in your life. Do you exaggerate? Is there some way that you cheat? Do you at times make false promises or excuses which are not true? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Of course we do, right? The scripture says, let God be true and every man a liar. Right? Because that old man of sin lives in us, doesn't he? And what, what characterizes him? Falsehood. Amen? Paul says, put it to death. Lay it aside. It can no longer live. It died with Christ. Amen? Now we are a people in holiness of the truth. Now we speak sincerely from the heart whatever is true. Amen? I like too that he says with your neighbor, it's not just within the brotherhood. This is how you are to treat everyone. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not okay to, to be deceitful to anyone. Amen. Absolutely. Because now we are characterized by truth. The very nature of God lives in us. Amen? We can no longer cheat. We can no longer slander. We cannot say things that are untrue about other people or other things. And we do that. Listen, if we are exaggerating, that's falsehood. That's deception. That's sin. To exaggerate anything is sinful. Okay? It's a misrepresentation of truth. Now, I could see how that could be beneficial if in the course of your exaggeration you were explaining uh, or, or, or bringing some kind of, of teaching or understanding as long as you were making it clear that what you were saying was an exaggeration in order to show a profound contrast in, in order to make something you know, more clear to see. <coughs> but, but if you're just using lying words to describe something, to exaggerate it, and so deceiving the person you're speaking to, okay, that is sinful. And that is the kind of falsehood that Paul says we ought to lay aside. We ought to lay that aside. Instead, he says, we are to speak the truth which now lives in us. The Christian should abhor the evil of lying and keep it far from him. It should be noted that liars go to hell. And I want to tell you, there isn't any new man in Christ going to hell. Not a one. Because the new man in Christ lives in the home of righteousness, which is the kingdom of God, properly called heaven. But liars go to hell. They burn in the fire of hell. That's pretty profound. I don't know about you, that's a deterrent to keep me from lying. (laughs) Lying is also the native language of the devil. Listen to Jesus. He says in John 8.44, You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You see, it's the nature of the devil. Lying, falsehood, deceitfulness, slander. That's the nature of the devil. He's a liar. He's been a liar from the beginning. He's the father of lies, Jesus says. Right? When he speaks lies, he speaks from his own nature. Now, if you are the new man in Christ, if you've been created in the likeness of God, in righteousness and holiness of the truth, what can you no longer do? You can no longer lie. Amen? Since the... You've put off the former self and you've put on Christ who speaks truth. Amen? Truth sincerely from his heart. And he's not ashamed of the truth, but he stands in the truth. Notice that about the devil. He doesn't, Jesus says, he does not stand in the truth. 
I want to tell you, the new man of righteousness, he stands in the truth. Martin Luther says, what does he say? Here I stand. No, he says, no, he says, he says, uh, though the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. In other words, you can take me to the flames, but I'll never denounce the truth that is in Christ. Amen? A Christian stands in the truth. He lives in the truth. His life is characterized by truth. Why? Because the nature of God lives in him. He's a child of truth. Amen? That's who we are. We're people of truth. Revelation 21.8. There it says, But for the cowardly, the unbelieving, and abominable, and murders, and immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars... Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That amazes me on how how serious he is about liars, that he puts them in with murderers and moral people, idolaters, you know, and liars is right in there with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, frankly, I think that lying is one of the chief characteristics of the nature of sin. And it's one of the chief characteristics of every one of us, apart from Christ. We deceive ourselves. We are so deceitful. Our hearts are so desperately wicked and sick that we deceive ourselves. We tell ourselves lies. It is a defining characteristic of sin. That it is lying. It is deceptive. Carlos? Uh, 1 John 1 9. We confess our sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all righteous, unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. You mentioned that just earlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, MacArthur has a kind of a neat comment. Continual confession of sin is an indication of genuine salvation, while the false teacher would not admit their sin, the genuine Christian admits and forsakes uh, the sin. The term confession means to say the same thing about sin as God does. Amen. So we're continually sinning, but we're continually, the genuine Christian, mm-hmm. our spirit is grieved, and we confess our sins, and we should try to keep a clean slate. Amen. And we always walk in the confession of our sins by speaking the truth and agreeing with God concerning our sin, right? That way I think uh, I think people condemn themselves because, you know, if you look at it, you say, wow, how can I be like Jesus, perfect? Mm-hmm. But he says right there, first John 1 night, confess your sins continually, sincerely, but, you know, and repent. Amen. And, and so if now we're characterized by truth, we can't help but confess our sins. We can't help but confess the evil that is within us. Amen? Terry? Um, On the other end of the spectrum, though, if you see somebody that is continually in this habit of lying, Mm -hmm. there's no way, well, it's very difficult to consider him a brother. And at that point, we need to use discernment in deciding who or whether or not this person, you're going to follow him or believe what he says, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so if it's a continual habit in a person's life, you have reason to believe that what he is professing is not true. Amen. And if that person is a believer, how does the scripture say we are to deal with him? I'm sorry? Okay, that's not quite what I'm looking for. Scripture says, if anyone professes to be a brother, right, but yet does not follow the teaching, don't associate with him. Do not even eat with him, right? Is that what you were saying? Do not even eat with him, right? You think that it's not important that we discern the way that we live among the body? You think that it's not important that the way that we treat one another the way that we hold one another accountable, 
Don't you know that uh, one little batch, uh, one little bit of yeast leavens the whole lump? Right? Read 1 Corinthians 5. You see these, these principles. You think it's not important. You know, a lot of people will say, judge not lest you be judged. You know, who, who are you to judge your brother? Right? T- taking that scripture out of context. Listen, it's very important that you judge within the body of Christ. And that we hold one another accountable for what? For righteousness and holiness of the truth. Why? Because we are members together. And if one part sins, the body is defiled. Amen? Instead, what must we do? <laughs> we got to lay aside falsehood. We got to speak the truth in love. We got to stop stealing and start working and sharing with one another. We're all working together in mutual edification so that the body may be built up. What happens when one in the body is sinning? It corrupts, it's destructive. Okay? And and it's not that we go to our brother and beat them over the head with a Bible and condemn them. Right? What does the Bible say? If anyone's caught in a sin, but those who are spiritual, go to such a one in a spirit of gentleness, seeking to restore them. Amen? Amen. And that's how we're to treat one another. Tender-hearted, he says. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving whatever grievance you may have against one another. Amen? But we cannot, we must be relentless in pursuit of the righteousness of Christ among us. Even in our own hearts and minds. First and foremost. Amen? <coughs> Lying here. Sean, yeah. That's probably the true test right there is if uh, brothers or sisters in Christ goes to that person and confronts him. That's probably the, the true test whether or not the man or, per, or the person has the Holy Spirit living in them because the example in 1 Corinthians 5 has to do with that man with his uh, mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. And then in uh, 2 Corinthians, you see that he repented and changed his ways. Mm-hmm. So if anyone in this room had some blatant sin and, you know, we confronted that person, I know if you guys came to me and confronted me, that it would be very um, convicting. And if the Holy Spirit really lives inside of you, you would say, I'm, you're right, I'm wrong. Help me to repent. Mm-hmm. Amen. As opposed to saying, mind your own business. You know, that's <laughs> my business, not yours. Get out of my face. Very much characteristic of the modern culture we live in. Right? Who are you to tell me right. how to live? Who are you to impose some kind of standard upon me? (coughs) Amen? That's not who we are as a family of God. Listen, we have been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Shall we now defile ourselves by sinning? We've all corporately come together being shown the mercy of God through repentance and faith. Shall we now sin? May it never be. be. And, And friends, when we do... We have a loving family of concerned brothers and sisters who are here to help carry our burdens and help us with our infirmities and bring healing to our wounds. Amen? I understand these things are kind of difficult. Okay? But it's important. It's extremely important. Here Paul is laying down a standard for our behavior. Shall we shoot for anything less? No. Amen. Okay. He, he, um, he goes on. He says, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Paul points out two important things about anger. One, that there is an anger which is not sinful. This kind of righteous anger is activated by sin which is destructive to people and dishonoring to God and it is born out of a hatred for evil. Okay? There is a righteous anger. There is a righteous indignation which is activated by what? By a hatred of sin. Why? Because sin is destructive. 
Sin wounds. It tears down. It destroys. It steals. It robs. It kills. Sin is the enemy of God and of man. Sin is the reason why the world is so miserable. Amen? And so, if you will, in the character and nature of God, there is a tremendous and extreme anger towards sin. Okay? Of course, God is very patient. And God is very self-controlled. Right? Because if he wasn't, we'd be toast. (laughs) Amen? But he's not. God is very gracious. God is very patient. God is very merciful. Right? But he will not endure with man forever. There's coming a day when he's going to put an end to sin completely and finally. Amen? And, uh, <clears throat> but look what he says. he says. He says, be angry. What is he telling us? Be angry? Is he telling us to be angry? Are you afraid to say yes? <laughs> Something that makes me extremely angry. And, you know, part, part of it is a frustration because it, it's a result of what sin has done. And, and Amen. It's, it's wrong. And Amen. You just want to stand up and pound your fist and say that's wrong, yeah. I want to tell you, the apostle is telling you to be angry. Or am I reading something that's not in the text? <laughs> he does say, be angry. Does he not? But with meekness, and that's where I can't, you know, that's not, I get the anger part down really well. <laughs> it's that meekness part that has it. Well, and he balances his commandment with, the, with also the commandment to not sin in it. He says, be angry and do not sin. Right? Another translation says, in your anger, do not sin. Right? This is more properly, the NAS, I don't know which one you're looking at. This is more properly the translation of the Greek. <coughs> Be angry and do not sin. Okay? And, and so it, the apostle is pointing out, there is a righteous anger. There, not only that, there is an anger that should live in each one of us Christians. I don't know about you, but when I see my love, I see the effects of sin in my loved ones that angers me. I'm angry, not at them. I'm angry at sin. I'm I'm angry for the stubborn, foolish hearts of men which destroy ourselves with our actions, with our sinful uh, with our sinful hearts. And I think it can be a great motivator if you can step back from your personal feelings and then let God's Spirit work in you and be a motivator to get in there and do something about the problem. Be part of the solution and not be part of the problem. That's nice little cliches, but if you just react immediately, you're just going to be part of the problem and make it worse. You know, you're sinning. Amen. Amen. And that's what you're angry at is sin. Mm-hmm. Step back and try and get a, you know, God's perspective. Say, okay, God, what can I do about this situation? Well, how can I make righteousness here? Mm-hmm. Where's the answer to this? Mm-hmm. You know. And at times, the the expression of righteous anger glorifies God, right? And of course, you see that in, in Jesus cleansing the temple. Right? You see, you see the glory of God in the zealous anger of Jesus over sin. Right? And, and how the people... Have you ever thought about how that system, that, uh, that system of selling the doves and all of that, you, you ever thought about how that was exploiting the poor who were coming to the temple to worship God? Here come these poor people, right, who are clinging to God, and, and with the very last might that they have, right? These rich religious guys are robbing temples. <laughs> the very temple of God. <clears throat> right? What was it that Jesus was really angry about? Right? It was an offensive thing. Extremely offensive thing. And oh, how God was glorified in the cleansing of that temple and in the expression of that righteous anger. Amen? Now, obviously, we've got to be real careful here because I think, like Karen, we got the anger part down real good. (laughs) Right? Or many of us do. I don't know about you. I've had a tremendous struggle with anger in my life. But meekness also is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Which is that power under control, that power under restraint. It's the same word for gentleness as we formally discussed, right? 
That gentleness is a power that's under control, under restraint. Debbie? I, I know in my life and I think in a lot of teaching <coughs> that what people have misconstrued this to be is it's always okay to be angered as long as you handle it correctly and are, you know don't let the sun go down and you ask for forgiveness and, and you move on. And it's really easy to pick this out of context and use it that... <coughs> Anger is just okay mm-hmm. when it's not mm-hmm. in most of the ways that we as human beings tend to get angry. It's almost always a selfish anger. Amen. And and that's where we have to be really careful. I would agree. I would agree. Righteous anger is self-controlled and kept in check by meekness. Right? So, you know, Paul is saying there is a righteous kind of anger, but he says in it, do not sin. Right? And uh, two, there is always present the danger of committing sin when angry. Right? Anger motivated by selfish reasons is always sinful and can be very destructive. Anger motivated by selfish reasons is always sinful. It's focused on self. It's not focused on the benefit of others or on the glory of God for that matter. Well, I just I just look at the verse ahead or before it in verse 25. Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, and then he's saying, "Be angry and do not sin." And I'm I'm thinking, really, the real only reason that we have to be angry is if the truth is being compromised, and and our anger should only come from that um, from that direction. Mm-hmm. With the truth being compromised, be angry. Yeah. Okay, but then it has nothing to do with us being, um, with our feelings. It's not our feelings with us being offended. It's, it's the truth being compromised. Mm-hmm. It's God being... Um, his his glory being stripped from him. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, we got to be careful not to mix up words here, okay? Anger and wrath are two different things. Wrath is an expression of anger. Anger is simply an an, an inner uh, an, an inner state uh, disposition of the heart, right? So when we talk about being angry. That doesn't mean we we can go about uh, you know uh, expressing that anger, right? Which, which can become destructive. And, and here's, what we're, here's where the temptation is. When we begin to express that anger, if that anger is selfishly motivated, that's going to defile. That's not going to build up. That's going to tear down. That's going to destroy. Right? And so we have to be careful to understand what's being said here. Paul's not saying go, go, go find every dirty temple you can and cleanse it. Right? He's simply talking about that disposition of the heart which is offended when the honor and the glory of God has been maligned. Right? And so it's an inner disposition of the heart, which I agree with Rosie. It's a tremendous motivator then to righteous living or to righteous speech. If we're angry over sin, then then maybe we, we will, in our meekness, will go and minister in that area very gently seeking to restore and serve, and love, and comfort, right? That, that anger can be a motivator. It should be a motivator, right? So don't get that mixed up. Because we're angry doesn't mean we have the right then to express that anger. And in the expression of that anger, that's where we have to be very careful, right? I was just going to say it reminds me of the Reformation. Because Luther was very angry about what was happening in the Catholic Church. And there were very pe- several people like-minded with him. And, you know, he was using scripture and he had a righteous anger. But then some of the followers of Luther misinterpreted. And um, there was a lot of horrible destruction that happened in the aftermath of, of Luther making that great stand. And then they were going in and, and just killing poor peasants and going into churches and burning and mm-hmm. just not at all, of course, what Luther was calling people to do at, mm-hmm. by any means. And so to me, in my mind, as I'm sitting here listening to you, mm-hmm. it's kind of like 
a good example of the righteous anger and a good example of anger gone amok, you know, just just pouring out wrath on people. And Amen. Anyway. Amen. And, and so we have to be very careful here. Listen to what James says. James 1, 19 through 20. He says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. You got that? The anger of man, the selfishly motivated anger of self, does not bring about the righteousness of God. Amen? If you will, the only kind of righteous anger is the anger of God, not the anger of man. You with me? So if there's any anger in you, let it be the anger of God, not the anger of man. Right? Well, as I say, I think in taking that a step farther, the, the anger being selfish, to me in my life, I mean, every every time I've been angry and sinned, I mean, it's it's pride. It's, it's you know, taking it a step farther than just being selfish. It's just it's pride, pure and simple. I mean, it's your... Not getting your way. Yeah, you're, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. Amen. And typically it's not related to righteousness. Yeah, yeah. Amen. I mean, that's the high road. Okay, and we all want to be there and say, yeah, when I get angry, I'm angry over that. But for the most part, it's your own. We're angry because our neighbor's dog is barking in the middle of the night. Amen. And so it's already gone down. The exhortation (laughs) then. The ways we can justify ourselves, huh? Right. This is why the exhortation in Scripture is to be slow to become angry. To be slow to become angry. Why? So that in our anger we do not sin. Amen? To check those motivations and to consider before the Lord prayerfully, Lord, is my emotion in this situation validated by your love and your kindness and your power and your justice? Right? Is my emotion, God, consistent with your emotion? Lord, is my heart consistent with your heart? Is my will aligned with your will, God? Amen? And so the scripture tells us to be slow to become angry. Proverbs 14.29 says, He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. Amen? At the same time, if you're slow to anger, but let it boil and boil and boil, or let yourself boil until the anger pops out, that's still a sin. I mean, how how do you justify that? Well, again, it's the motivation of the anger. Is the anger righteous or is the anger selfishly motivated? And, and, if, and, if, and if it is selfishly motivated and it's stacking up and then when it pops out, that becomes a different sin. That's no longer anger. Right now, what is that? Now, that's wrath or clamor or, or some kind of uh, expression of that anger, which is sinful. Right. And so that's, again, why we have to be very restrained. In, in our approach and, and prayerful, right? We're walking moment by moment in the Spirit of God. Therefore, we must allow the Spirit of God to renew our mind through the Word of God so that our, our thoughts are consistent with the thoughts of God and that our emotions are consistent with the emotions of God. Amen? They must be kept in check. Friends, this is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's called self-control. Amen. Joe, please. Yeah, on, uh, on your James passage of 19 and 20, uh, when you look at the context of James, James is, appears to be giving test of saving faith. <clears throat> and these verses here in 1927 is a test of response to the word. So when James says, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, it has to do with relationship to the word. He's speaking to the brethren. And so here are people in the church that when someone comes to you, <clears throat> Well, first of all, we need to be quick to get under the the preacher, get under the Sunday school teacher. We need to hear the Word of God. We have to be very, very careful because we're going to be judged even more if we teach the Word and we need to teach it correctly. 
But if we're being disciplined in the church and we're being approached by somebody in the church with the word of God, we better be very slow to get angry over that. In other words, hey, don't get in my face and you can't judge me and you can't say that to me. And so I think in the context here is that this anger right here is on the part of the person being approached that they don't respond to the word in a way in which they show themselves to be possibly not a believer in the body of Christ because mm-hmm. they don't deal with it correctly. Mm-hmm. That's a possibility. There's a danger to that, that when someone does come in love, in a sense of uh, much patience and forbearance, and they want to bring the word of God, we need to be quick to hear that. We need to be slow to get angry over that. Amen. See that. Amen. I think that is tremendous advice. There, we need to foster an attitude of unity among us which is humble in nature and is willing to examine itself. Amen? I mean, okay, someone comes to you and they confront you about some perceived sin in your life. Where's the real damage? To your pride. To your pride. If you're truly a humble servant of God seeking to to be perfect in your practice before your loving Father, right? Would Would you not simply take those things before the Lord in prayer and consider them to see if they be true? You with me? And I think that's tremendous advice. Friends, I have to leave early this morning because I'm preaching at another church. So uh, I, I need to knock off here. We're angry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray. God, our Father, we are so thankful, Lord, for your word. And, Lord, uh, even though now we do not see clearly, I pray that you would clearly speak these things to our heart. Father, that you would help us to understand uh, exactly how you want us to behave in these manners. I pray, Lord, as we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling, dear God, that you would help us to see uh, the clearly defined uh, will that you have expressed to us for how we should behave. Lord, I pray that you would convict us of these sins in our life, bring these scriptures to our remembrance, and Lord, may they be a great encouragement and strengthening force in our life to put our sins to death so that we might walk in newness of life. Lord, I pray that we would uh, learn to become these very people that you call us to be kind and tender-hearted, forgiving whatever grievances we have, and living a life of love and imitating you. Father, I pray that you would... Uh, Through this uh, study of Ephesians, God, that you would change us, that we would never be the same, but that we would be like Jesus. We thank you, dear Lord, for such a holy and a precious word. I pray that you'll impress it upon our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. Don, can we pray for you? Sure. You betcha. I can use all of that I can get. (laughs) Okay, I'll pray for you. Okay, please do. Uh, Father in heaven, we're just so thankful that we get to sit under the word and the teaching of Sean, and we're just so thankful now. In a sense, we get to send him to another church, and we know, Holy Spirit, you're living in him. We ask that you come upon him mightily, that you give his words truth and clarity, help his thinking now to just clear from this lesson, concentrate on what he has prepared for these other people. I pray that you'll prepare their hearts as they come, and that they'll be able to receive the truth, and not just hear it, Lord, but be doers of the word. We just pray you bless every step of his today. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Rosie.